Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by co-founder and CEO of Zoom Foods, Amy Zeidelman. Amy founded Zoom with her two sisters 10 years ago. What started out as a passion and love for the good old sesame seed turned into what we now know of as Zoom Foods. We dig into Amy's favorite way to eat tahini, as well as how food service has played a role in their growth. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. We're super pumped. So for our listeners, would love to let you introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are and what Zoom is. Sure. Well, I'm Amy Zeidelman. I'm co-founder and CEO of Zoom Foods. Zoom Foods is on a mission to get tahini into every kitchen across the country because good tahini just makes food better. Tahini is a delicious, nutritious, and versatile ingredient. And my sisters and I have been passionate about making it a more popular product here in the States for almost 10 years now. I love that. You guys, it's, it is a family business and the background of it, I think I'd love for you to share a little more of the history of why you guys started making tahini and where that comes from. So the joke is that my oldest sister, Shelby, had a business degree. My middle sister, Jackie, fell in love with the tahini expert and I just needed a job. And that is the, you know, origination story in that my sister, Jackie, has been living in Israel since 2008. And around 2011, she was dating and is now married to her partner, Omri. Omri has been in the tahina, as it's called in Israel industry, at this point for almost 20 years. And so when my oldest sister, Shelby, who studied business undergrad, actually at Penn also, Rachel, um, learned about how good tahini was in Israel and how appreciated it was and versatile it was, we started doing some research and recognized that tahini was vastly underutilized here in the States. And also there wasn't very good tahini available. And so my oldest sister, Shelby, tapped me for market research. I was a senior at University of Delaware. And what we found was that uh, tahini could only be found on the bottom shelf of the international aisle with dust on the lids and an inch of oil up top, that most people had no idea what tahini was. And if they did, they really only bought it to make hummus and probably threw it away six months later when they didn't have anything else to do with it. And when Omri started educating us about high quality tahini, our entrepreneurial bug just kind of got sparked. And we, you know, joke that we were dumb and young and said, why not bring tahini over ourselves? So good. And to backtrack a little bit, can you just tell us what is tahini and what makes good tahini versus not good tahini? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So for anybody unfamiliar, and you're my favorite types of people, tahini is an ingredient made from 100% roasted and pressed sesame seeds. I like to describe it as thicker than olive oil and thinner than peanut butter, but can be used for both in savory and sweet recipes. So in the American market, really internationally, tahini is best known for its use to make a delicious or tahini sauce, mixing tahini with water, lemon, and garlic. It makes a great sauce and thick uh, dip type condiment. You then blend that with chickpeas to make hummus. And so in the American market, tahini has been growing in consumption, even though the ingredient itself has not been the primary speaking point because of hummus's growth over the past 20 at this point, 
30 years. And so tahini, like coffee or wine, the region where that one you know, ingredient is from makes a difference in the product itself. So our tahini is pressed from sesame seeds from Ethiopia. They're called white humera sesame. And the seeds in Ethiopia are prized internationally specifically for pressing into tahini. And that's because it has a great flavor profile, a slight nuttiness, and much less bitter than a lot of other sesame tahinis that are produced. And also a great ratio of what we call the sesame oil to that sesame meat. So even though the tahini, of course, separates when it sits, as do all natural nut butters and seed butters, it's really easy to reblend. And the consistency of the product is superior than the tahinis that were available when we decided to start soon. Nice. That's a great answer. I feel like I just learned a lot about tahini in just two minutes. You talked about it as kind of as a sauce. I've been using your product for a topping on pancakes, on waffles. I've used it. Talk a little more about what you kind of hinted at earlier, just like the versatility that tahini has. Yeah, versatility is such an important pillar. I mean, when I started Zoom with no marketing understanding at all, I, I just had these pillars of delicious nutritious and versatile. And the versatility is where the opportunities for tahini are really limitless. You talked about putting it on yogurt. That's one of my favorite ways too. That nutty flavor profile that comes from the high quality seed allows it to go across a spectrum of savory and sweet. So while on the savory side, a traditional flavor you know, profile would be with lemon and garlic on the sweet side, mixing it with maple syrup is delicious or even agave. Honey is one of our favorite things to mix it with. In the Middle East, traditional sweetener is date syrup, which is a great complement to tahini. So on sumfoods.com across the internet now, you can find tahini plus whatever you imagine. Sweet, savory, chocolate, yogurts, baked goods, soups, the applications are are really endless. And besides the flavor profile, the quality and consistency of the ingredient also really inspires us. It's a great substitute for dairy-based creams. And so you can make a sauce creamy without needing to have dairy in there. You can make a soup creamy by adding tahini with it without needing to uh, add dairy to it. So its composition, along with its flavor profile, lends itself across the culinary spectrum. It's really an amazing ingredient. Yeah, truly is. So I think you gave a pretty good overview of like use cases, what the product's physically made of and how it's made from a process perspective. I kind of want to go into the market dynamic. So I think at a high level, right, like there hasn't been a ton of innovation, you know, obviously in tahini, as you hinted at the beginning of the episode, but I would say just like the general kind of spread sauce space. Like, I I mean, nut butter is definitely having a moment. We've seen kind of some startups in that space. I wouldn't say a ton has been really the overall going on in, you know, kind of peanut butter and spreads and jellies with a few exceptions. What do you think is kind of the barrier to kind of mass adoption for this kind of segment, as well as kind of tahini specifically? Yeah, that's a really great point. I mean, one of the interesting things to us, and we, like I mentioned before, worked really hard to position tahini 
or maybe I didn't say it explicitly, but out of the international aisle and into that nut butter category that you're talking about. And you're right, the nut butter category has been stagnant for a while, but all of its growth is coming from alternative seeds. Of course, almond butter was so popular and still continues to be sunflower seeds and sesame seeds. It's truly a natural progression. I think one of the barriers to it are the foundational associations of that flavor profile. For so long, the tahini available was bitter and bad. Most sesame flavors in recipes came from sesame oil, which is a very different flavor profile than the type of tahini that Sum's putting out there. And so it had the stigma of, do I like sesame seeds? That's what we hear from a lot of people. It's like, oh, I don't think I like that. And we're like, oh, maybe you should try it. And I think one of the barriers is the fact that one of the challenges that Sum experiences every day is it's hard to describe. I appreciate that you liked it, but describing an ingredient is hard. When Sum started, we're like, how do you tell people what salt is? How do you describe to people what olive oil is? Because that was really where we wanted to, you know, Sum to be in the direction of. And also the American market is in a transition of really liking to cook or not, right? I would say 10 years ago, most people were shying away from cooking. There's been a resurgence, of course, since COVID. And so by sampling an ingredient, we had two problems. One was sometimes we would prepare it into a dip or a hummus or a smoothie or serve it on yogurt. And people would say, oh, that's delicious. I'd like to buy this smoothie. I'd like to buy this hummus. And we're like, no, we're not selling the hummus or the smoothie. We're selling the tahini for you to make it at home. And that was a barrier for people wanting to bring it into their homes. But that is easy to overcome. I mean, I think the shift in cooking culture has changed dramatically over the past 10 years. I think that the influence of chefs and the benefit that Zoom has in our omni-channel approach, which we can get into a little bit more when you talk about the marketing of the product, has been so helpful to tahini and to Sum. And the future will be, if people don't want to bring tahini into their homes, then what products with tahini can they bring into their homes? Is it a bar that uses tahini instead of almond butter? Is it a condiment or a salad dressing or a dip that's using tahini as its base? And that's the direction that Sum sees for tahini once its understanding in the American market is larger and I'm very confident will be the direction, not just of Zoom, but of other brands too, in seeing the value of adding tahini into their product offerings. Yeah, there's so much that you just touched on that I'd love to unpack. Specifically, I think you mentioned, you know, your omni-channel approach, and you guys have done an amazing job of this in that, how do you have someone take this into their home and understand, you know, like this is something that can be made across different ingredients or different flavor profiles. How have you guys, so I, I know that you work with a ton of restaurants and I'd love for you to kind of talk about this omni-channel marketing approach and getting into the hands of big name restaurants and big name chefs. Yeah. And that was such a lucky hypothesis that we have. Part of our market research when we found out that most Americans had no idea what tahini was or didn't like the tahini that they had access to, we did talk to some chefs, especially here in Philadelphia, and they had the same answers. I mean, most notably Mike Salamanov, when we asked him, what tahini are you using here? He said, whatever my distributor can bring me and it's not very good. And so that really opened up 
for us, a, a very naive perspective into the opportunity for tahini in a different category than just getting tahini onto shelves. Because when we started Zoom, that was our vision. We thought we'd get tahini into every grocery store. And we were so naive into how you know complicated that would be for many reasons, both the sales and logistics of the industry itself. And of course, in the consumer education and getting people to buy the product onto the shelves. So we simply followed up with Mike when we got our first import and he said, yeah, this tahini is better. You know, I'd love to start using it. And so I used that as a jumping off point. I was not only going into our local co-ops and small stores, I was going into every restaurant in Philadelphia saying, what tahini are you using? And will you try Sum instead? And that provided a ton of benefit to Sum in that the food service industry is great for an ingredient like tahini because they buy so much more of the product and so much more often than a consumer does, right? Mike is going through hundreds of pounds of tahini a week and a consumer might take over a year to go through 11 ounces. And so the foundation in terms of our revenue and also the velocity of the production we could start creating was very valuable in the food service space. And they also, with their influence, contributed to the consumer education and the marketing that Zoom didn't have a budget for. So once I got our feet wet here on the East Coast, you know, I traveled between New York and DC doing the sales and doing the deliveries for probably 18 months before I started getting calls from people across the country saying, is your tahini available in San Francisco? Is it available in New Orleans? And so on and so on. And so I spent a whole year, I think it was 2017, maybe 2014, 16, and I went to 15 cities doing the same thing that I did in Philadelphia, knocking on every restaurant's door and saying, what tahini are you using and will you use soon? And so that, you know, contributed to the benefit of that food service channel. Now, because our product wasn't in stores and it was so resource intensive, the capital and the experience that my sisters and I didn't have to get it into stores nationally, we put our product very early on onto Amazon. And that has been a really great market and channel for Zoom. It's since been complemented and we have new strategies in terms of getting people to our own site, but Amazon provided so much value because the shoppers were there. There were people nationally that were looking for Zoom and Amazon was providing the distribution. There was so much value that Amazon was able to give us as a young brand. And then our third channel, Brick and Mortar, we've always let grow organically, really focusing on our specific region. And just recently, through the acquisition of another great tahini company and their founder, who has extensive experience in food and in food and beverage and CPG distribution in particular, is now we are now executing a national retail rollout throughout this year. So it's been exciting to have these channels to balance each other out and also to really protect us. You know, the food service provided us so much foundation. And then when COVID came and the restaurants died, our Amazon channel really saved us and as did our brick and mortar. And now that all cylinders are kind of going in the same direction, firing in the same direction, we have the opportunity to really strategically play how we want our revenue to be distributed through our channels. An amazing answer and super exciting that you've been able to execute across kind of a diverse array of channels. I love kind of when, you know, there's that trickle down effect of like, you're connecting with the consumer and driving trial and like these nice restaurants. And then through that, like it trickles down to more mass consumer and other channels by nature of the trial that was driven through the restaurant experience. 
you're seeing the same thing with like, you know, you see professional athletes using a Theragun and then the retail, you know, casual athlete wants a Theragun. So it's, it's like an actual similar analogy. Just hitting on the point of food service, we haven't talked about that channel a ton in historical episodes. When kind of working on these restaurant accounts, how do you go about, I mean, you talked about how these restaurants are driving education for the tahini category, which makes a lot of sense. Do these restaurants feel incentivized to kind of place the Zoom brand name on their menus? Or how do you think about working with kind of the accounts to ensure that not only are they driving education for the tahini category, but also for the Zoom brand in, in terms of awareness? That's such a great question. It's something that we have been working on more strategically over the past couple of years. Now, to be totally transparent, that was not an intention of mine when I grew the food service channel. I love connecting with chefs. I love that they used our product. And in the, you know, I guess in, in a, as a reflection of my personality, it was enough that they were just using it. I never asked them to put it on the menu. I never thought of doing marketing incentives or promotional incentives to get them to market it more. It all happened really organically. So the organic outreach came when a chef happened to be interviewed and they felt compelled just, you know, of their own accord to say that Zoom was their tahini of choice. Now that we have true market, a true marketing team and people with real marketing experience, that is something that we're building out. But I have to admit, it's been a challenge. The food service industry right now is a challenge to break into, I would say, likely for other brands that didn't have the stability there that we did before COVID hit. And it's also hard to push the envelope in terms of marketing and promotional opportunities because so much is in flux and jeopardized on the day-to-day in the market. Like there are ideas if we could do co-branded cups for the types of uh, restaurants that use our tahini in their smoothies and in their, you know, tahini milkshakes. But guess what? People can't get branded cups right now. And so like that idea flew out uh, a year over the past year, year and a half. And so I would say I've been most comfortable letting our relationships ride and and play themselves out organically. But now that Zoom is getting bigger and there are new people leading our marketing initiatives to influence our our revenue, there's new strategies being applied there. Yeah. I mean, you talked about like the complexity of brick and mortar, but I think the fact that you've conquered kind of food service in a way says a lot about the operational capacity of the company because... I mean, you think about the restaurant, the restaurant may have 20 things that it can offer a consumer, whereas a grocery store may have a thousand. So it's like if a grocery store is missing a skew for a few days, like not a big deal. If a restaurant is missing a skew because a supplier like you guys is short on product, like it can severely harm the business. Oh, yeah. And so I think like the fact that you've executed in that channel, it's also obviously a very different distribution strategy than what you're doing for brick and mortar. The fact you've been able to conquer that, I find really impressive. Thank you. And it's so true. I mean, we've overnighted tahini to I can't tell you how many restaurants in the past eight eight years, but two years specifically, even because let's say the distributed distributor didn't have the right, you know, amount of inventory in hand. And so yeah, I've we've felt that and I appreciate that feedback. It's very true, but it's different. I mean, the biggest transition for us was the difference of selling to food service distributors, which is, let's say a food service distributor buys a full 48 bucket pallet, right? A pallet of 48 buckets. So we just have to simply get that pallet off of the racks, stick the shipping label on it and put it onto a truck. When COVID hit and it was our D to C and our Amazon sales that shot up, 
we had to hire three additional warehouse people in order to keep up with the demands of selling on Amazon, because that's the kidding, right? That's breaking down a 24 pack into a two pack and packing that in a box and packing that into another box and sending that pallet into Amazon. And so the resources and needs that we have for the different channels we experienced in real time, but are also very different. So there are pluses and negatives to each channel challenges across them both. I always found food service easier. And so I'm excited that maybe retail will be easier than I'm expecting it to be. <laughs> I love that. I um so Zoom is more than just a single SKU company. And I would love so our listeners know that you kind of are branching out and really exploring, as you mentioned, this sweet and savory angle. Can you tell us the other product offerings that you have? Yeah, but still over 90% of our revenue is coming just from tahini, but we have expanded in the nut butter category with the line of sweet tahini spreads. And originally it was with a, a chocolate tahini spread inspired by a lot of the restaurants across the country that were making things like brownies and from the feedback from consumers that they wanted something that was ready to use. And also from our own selfishness, we wanted something to replace the sweet spreads that were not fulfilling our needs in terms of a better for you option, a tahini based option. So we have our chocolate spread. We've expanded that sweet line with a dark chocolate sea salt, which is quickly usurping our original chocolate and a vanilla bean tahini that is like a spreadable version of the traditional Middle Eastern confection of halva. We've also complemented our tahini with another ingredient, the date syrup, a Ceylon that we've sold for several years now with the feedback from chefs saying, we love your tahini, you know, what else can we bring? And our direction is to continue to innovate in new categories with tahini as the soul. So we're working on a couple projects that fingers crossed we'll be introducing an Expo East uh, in Philly this fall. Ooh, I'm so excited. I know. I, I feel like the tahini space, you know, we've seen Seed and Mill and Hebel and Co in the Halva definitely like growing traction. And I I love, I'm a big fan of your vanilla tahini. It's so yummy and delicious and everything. I want to transition to our favorite part of the podcast, which is our rapid fire, where we're going to ask you a series of random questions and just hit us with whatever comes to mind first. So your favorite CPG product. Oh, I am most brand loyal to a peanut butter. Oh my God. And on rapid fire, I'm like forgetting the name of it, but I only buy one peanut butter and I know exactly where it is. And the name has just escaped me. I can't believe that that happened. My kitchen is right downstairs, but it's not a, oh, it's Richard's. Have you ever had crazy Richard's peanut butter? No, it is the best peanut butter hands down. And I'm a loyalist to choosing that peanut butter on the shelves. Wow. That's so funny that your favorite CBG product is like kind of a quote unquote in the competitive space to your own company a little bit. I guess that's a big secret, but I still love peanut butter. You know, tahini has its uses and is an amazing substitute for peanut butter across a lot of products. It does not replace it on a sandwich with jelly. It just doesn't do the same thing. And so peanut butter uh, still has a big place in my heart. Favorite way to eat Zoom? 
Daniel said this one, but my favorite way too is on yogurt, Greek yogurt, uh, with some sweetener, typically honey on top and some bananas. So I like to eat that as its own, or of course you could always blend that into a smoothie. Uh, and that's my favorite way to eat too. Ooh, favorite restaurant in Philly. Zahav. Of course. Dream destination. Oh man, there's so many now because it's just been so long since I've truly traveled, but I would love to go to Northern Europe and see the Fords and travel in Northern Europe. Love that. Lastly, we like to ask all of our guests how they subscribe to wellness. So what does it mean for you on a daily basis? What practices do you take to make sure that you're living your best life? I subscribe to wellness and it's something that we've worked really hard to create a culture of at Zoom as it relates to work-life balance. I do not prescribe to the entrepreneurial 80 hour a week. I love to get as much sleep as possible considering that I have three, two, sorry, two, God, not three, two young sons. It sometimes is less sleep than I'd like. And I love to practice uh, yoga, even something as short as a 20 minute stretch at the end of the day. Uh, really helps me to make my body feel good and to relieve my brain of all the things it's thinking about all throughout the day. That makes total sense. I think, you know, it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in that spinning wheel and never end. But I definitely appreciate that you are instilling that in your company because it's so important. And I think we should see more of it. Where can our listeners learn more about Zoom and yourself? Sure. Well, you can uh, follow Zoom on social media at Zoom Foods. It's S as in Sam, O O M as in Mom. Foods plural. We're all on. We're on all the social media there, in particular Instagram. If you like looking at beautiful pictures of food, and our website ZoomFoods.com, where we have tons of recipes to inspire you of how to use that tahini you might have sitting in your pantry, and updates about our products and new gift sets, uh, really improving our consumer experience on our website right now. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amy. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness and we'll see you next time.